In April, millions of tiny flowers spread over the blackjack hills and vast prairies in the Osage territory of Oklahoma. There are Johnny Jump Ups and Spring Beauties and Little Bluets. The Osage writer John Joseph Matthews observed that the galaxy of petals makes it look as if the gods had left confetti. In May, when coyotes howl beneath an unnervingly large moon, taller plants such as spiderworts and black-eyed Susans begin to creep over the tinier blooms, stealing their light and water. The necks of the smaller flowers break and their petals flutter away, and before long they are buried underground. This is why the Osage Indians refer to May as the time of the flower-killing moon. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Lit to Lens podcast, a safe place for folks who like the movie more than the book. We are recording this episode on Sunday, October 29th, 2023. This is episode number 75, where we will be discussing the adaptation Killers of the Flower Moon. I am your host, Will, and with me to talk things over is the third man, the ruthless freebooter of death, and the king himself, King Eric. Say hello to the people, Lee. Hello. Will, what did I have you call me when you were just a child? king that's right king eric please please refer to me only as king <laughs> from now on yes king how are you i'm great uh we got a a banger of an adaptation to talk about today i feel like this book to film is like the super bowl of the little lens mm-hmm, podcast it's mm-hmm. been coming for three years yeah been it's a while. finally arrived mm-hmm. and uh the people are people are all about it you know if i feel like uh, the big adaptation this year is probably Oppenheimer because it, it made more money, but this mm-hmm. was a much more approachable adaptation, like a 250 page book yeah. into a three and a half hour movie. Yeah. Whereas that was like a 700 page book yeah. into a three and a half hour movie. Yeah. And this one has been kind of in production for a long time. Like you mentioned, I think they acquired the rights a long, long time ago. And I think it was actually supposed to be released last year. Yes. Right. Um, and then for whatever reason, probably editing concerns or something, um, push it to this year. The pandemic. Was it? Okay. It was a pandemic. I think so. Um, we're still in it. Cause they wanted it in theaters and people weren't going to theaters. That's right. Until a little film called Top Gun Maverick brought everyone back. Was it that? Was it Top it Gun? It was. It was. TGM. Never heard of it. TGM. <laughs> um, so we are here. We made it. Um, let's go over some fast facts. So the book, uh, the author of the book, uh, David Grand, um, he has written other novels, uh, such as The Lost City of Z, The Devil and Sherlock Holmes, The White Darkness, and his most recent one called The Wager. Uh, the publisher of the book is Doubleday, published in April 2017, 352 pages for hardcover, and a Goodreads of 4.14. Um, the film was released in Cannes earlier this year in May, uh, and then opened in theaters October 20th, 2023, and it will probably be on Apple TV uh, later this year, early next year. Uh, so the director of the film is a little known director by the name of Martin Scorsese, and I'm going to list you some films here tell me tell me when to stop okay um mean streets raging bull stop (laughs) taxi driver goodfellas casino gangs of new york the aviator the departed shutter island the wolf of wall street silence and the irishman silence a former little lens episode that's true um screenwriters were eric roth and martin scorsese starring leonardo dicaprio lily gladstone robert de niro jesse plemons runtime of a whopping 206 minutes rotten tomato score 93 percent rennick critic 89 so pretty good where are you at on uh i don't know if you saw the drama with this movie already where some theaters put in an intermission 
Oh yeah. Um, unbeknownst to like Scorsese and all the other people, and they got. I think they sued. Where yeah, are you yeah. at on just like having intermissions in the middle of three and a half hour movies? <sighs> it's funny. We're actually going to get into this. In, oh my. In our next one, but that's okay. I can I can give my opinion. I actually did not read ahead, so no, I'm glad you did. That's yeah, amazing. It's good. But I am a little bit torn on it because obviously, if you do it at home, if you watch it at home, right? Yeah. Um, you can get up and leave whenever you want. I do you think can pause. It, yeah. So you don't even need an intermission. Like for intermissions in plays, it's typically about an hour or less, right? Where they have one or two intermissions. Yeah. I think it's reasonable to give an intermission for a film that's three and a half hours long. I mean, I would even, you know, for a three hour film, I think it's reasonable. Um, people have small bladders, especially Americans. And they're getting smaller, you know? Yeah. I read so, that somewhere, I think. <laughs> I do think there is something to say about like toughing it out but this is this is not american football this is you know we're all going to enjoy entertainment so i think there should be some grace to the moviegoers who you are paying think about your health money you know put your health first no what are, you, what are your thoughts um well so historically like in the 60s 50s 60s there used when they made these like massive um, large in scope movies like the like Cleopatra, which mm. is four hours long, mm-hmm. and stars Elizabeth Taylor. I think in the, the early sixties, um, that movie was four hours long, and it always came with an intermission. Mm. They always had intermissions. Oh, did it? okay. And mm. all those big big ass movies did, and so it's kind of weird that we we lost that because we got to a place where everything was super tight. It was like yeah. ninety minutes in and out in the nineties, and then movies have gradually gotten longer because now it's kind of like, well, if you're gonna go pay to see a movie, you're gonna go see yeah. a movie. Yeah. It's not a any of these like JV 90 minute joints, yeah, right? That's true. I feel like it would be nice, but also versus a play play has a very clear structure, mm-hmm. I guess where it's, it makes sense to end it in a certain place and pick it up at another place. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people can handle if, if movies nowadays are so cleanly structured anymore. I don't know. I don't have a good take other than like, that's an interesting point. Like you have to have a moment where you can say, okay, we break. Yeah. That's I fair. think if someone like him put in an intermission, he could restart intermissions in movies. Oh, definitely. Yeah. We're going to get into it here okay. in the next, next uh, section. Well, here. I'm sorry to steal. No, it's okay. Any bit of it. <laughs> uh, can you give us a quick recap? I can. Killers of the Flower Moon is a nonfiction story that, uh, or a nonfiction story investigating a series of murders that took place in the early 1920s in Osage County, Oklahoma. After big oil deposits were found under their land, the Osage people were awarded head rights to the profits made from these deposits. Um, but the book details a complex plot hatched by a number of white locals to kill the Osage inheritors and receive these profitable head rights themselves. This is actually the first time I've ever heard the term head rights was interacting with a story. Uh-huh. Had you heard that before? No. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Because usually it's an inheritance or who just owns the rights to whatever property. But never heard of it. Head rights feels a little bit more sinister. Yeah. Like you're chopping off the head yeah. or something. Come after the head. Well, wasn't this created for this exact scenario? Like the government, I had never Maybe. dealt with something like this before. And so they created an instrument through which to actually control how the money flowed. Because there are people um, like the main character, Molly Burkhart, mm-hmm. who's... I forget the the terminology, right? But it's like not everyone can collect on their money. Some need like conservators who collect the money for them and then pay them. Yeah. Some people are allowed to to claim it. So Mm -hmm. there's 
there's a i think i think they put forth this legal system to just basically be like well you know i know the, the land is really yours but like yeah. is it i'm gonna control it and yeah. let you spend as much as you want of it yeah yeah so thank you for the recap we're gonna get right into it um two truths one lie you gotta win last time with uh with foe are you ready to win again i'm ready okay number one um touching on what we just talked about martin scorsese has publicly defended theaters providing an, an intermission during the theatrical run for this film due to its long runtime. number two uh lily gladstone the actress uh, who played molly burkhardt in the film uh, was in the process of making a career change when she got an email for a meeting with martin scorsese for this film um and number three marty and leo uh have already secured the rights to david grant's next or most recent novel um to make an adaptation of the wager a tale of shipwreck mutiny and murder eric what are we thinking it's so funny that now because i know that apple sued the theater but that doesn't mean that marty uh wouldn't be like pro mm-hmm. intermission so like, i want to go number one but now i'm afraid and this is how i lose you should by, be you should be afraid. is by overthinking this um are there any that you know no, well, I know that Apple sued the theater, but I don't okay. know about Marty's. No, so there's not. Okay. I, you know, so I've been reading. So because of the actor strikes, like Leo and and um, Robert De Niro, and all these actors haven't really been promoting it. So it's been a lot of Scorsese out on the trail. Yeah. Doing mm-hmm. a GQ profile and all these other interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he talks a lot about how he's like nearing the end of his life, and he's not really sure how much more he has left to give. Mm. And I, it seems like he's going to make like one or two more movies. And I feel like none of them is David Grant's most recent novel. Interesting. The Wager. Why do you say Colin, that? Colin, A Tale of Shipwreck, Mutiny and Murder. Do you, do you don't think it's worthy? David Grant is worthy of Mars Scorsese's last film? Um, I actually own two David Grant books. I own Lost City of Z to your left. So, so you do have respect for him? I do. Yeah, I do like David okay. Grant. Um, but I, I, feel, I think they talked about what he was thinking about doing next. And I, I didn't. I don't think it was this. Okay. Nah, this is vibes. This just feels. I don't. I don't okay. know. That's fair. So I'm gonna go You're three is the lie. You are incorrect. Okay. <laughs> you should have went with your initial gut. Um, so I, was, w- I flew so close <laughs> to the sun. I didn't see you like <laughs> shaking right over into there. It. Dang. <laughs> um, yeah. Number one is the lie. Um, he has not publicly defended the theaters uh, providing intermissions for um, this film. Um, but privately, he's told you that he. Well, okay. he told me. Okay. 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 We text so. But yeah, Lily Gladstone. So uh, I had been, I guess, uh, to speak about the first one. I think it is kind of interesting that films have been giving intermissions. Because um, I don't remember this happening with The Irishman. Did There must have been a theatrical run for The Irishman, right? Yeah. But I don't remember this being a thing. Because that's another three and a half hour film, right? Yeah. Um, so it is kind of new territory. Um, that, that was interesting. And then Lily, Lily Gladstone was actually I, I actually want to read this because uh, i thought this was so interesting um lily gladstone was in the process of registering for a data analytics course and entering her credit card information when a gmail notification alerted her to a request for a zoom meeting with martin scorsese wow how crazy is that yeah um because i think the uh, or continues here as this was during the height of the COVID 19 pandemic gladstone was considering a career change due to a dry spell uh, in her acting career so pretty wild um she's in other things right isn't she in like a she's in a movie that came out last couple years yeah first cow um 824 
Shout out. Okay, she's in that. I haven't seen that, but it, I know yeah. people liked it. I think there was another one that she was in that was like more popular. Okay. I can't remember. Um, and then, yeah, Martin Leo. You know how I found this out, actually. Um, so number three, the Marty and Leo had actually secured the rights to David Grant's most recent novel, The Wager. I was actually at the National Book Fair, and David Grant spoke. Oh, okay. And he mentioned it, <laughs> like, in the interview. I was like, oh, that's fucking cool. Um, I should have... And I should have tweeted it because it wasn't on any, like nobody had released that information. Yeah. Breaking. Could have been a journalist. Yeah. But no, it was cool. It was cool to hear that. But um, I haven't read it, but it's from what I heard from um, his sort of breakdown of what that book is about. It's, it seems kind of like we just, we did a, an adaptation about a shipwreck. I can't remember the name of it. It was Chris Hemsworth. right? Oh yeah. Um, It was a Philip, uh, Kubrick? No, not Kubrick. Uh, Philbrick. Yes. Nathaniel, Nathaniel Philbrick book. Yes. I can't remember. The name is escaping me. Yeah, it was like the basis. The story that was the basis for Moby Dick that got like, yeah. a nonfiction book. Yeah, where they later. ate each other, right? They yeah. They cannibalizing each other. But And then they did, had the Nantucket sleigh rides where they would like stab a whale and they would just like let, yes. it, let it ride until it got out of energy and yeah. it was dead. That was cool. It was cool, yeah. <laughs> so this one has that, that vibe to it from what I've... Like gathered a, it's like a dad nonfiction book basically yeah but it's but a little bit more political it's, it's i think it's about like spain versus france and their political machinations yeah, i like that so i was on the wait list for this for the wager at the library for like six months and i finally got it and i had like four other books that i was reading at the time oh, or needing to read or whatever it's like man this really came at the wrong time because so sometimes happens? between books at the little lens podcast we can read like random filler books yeah. mm-hmm. um and it just didn't work out for me so i had to let it go so what happens you just go to the back of the line or you just uh, skip f- it? yeah for that one i just got off the list did you get back on no i should yeah maybe i will that's tough i actually have it so you can borrow it because i got it at the place oh so actually you should get on the library i'm gonna go to the library <laughs> um awesome so you lost but that's okay put the big l here for eric uh but you have a chance to redeem yourself with over under. Are you ready? Yes. The number is 3.5. The subject is number of film adaptations from David Grand's work. Well, I'm very happy you listed out all of the books that he's written. That's helpful. You're welcome. Perhaps. But at the same time, I've never heard of some of these. So like The Devil and Sherlock Holmes and The White Darkness. Never heard of them. You, obviously, The Wager is coming lost city of z happened this one happened that's true so maybe there are books that he's written that are not listed here which would sway me but i'm gonna go under um and say that it's it's under three and a half is that your final answer yeah you are incorrect whoa um this was surprising to me um so obviously lost city of z right that's one that we know about um and obviously colors of the fire moon that's two um 2016 there was a film um that starred Jim Carrey called Dark Crimes uh, that was actually based on an article, True Crime, a postmodern murder mystery by David Graham. And then I think you've actually seen this, uh, The Old Man and the Gun. Oh, yeah. Uh, was based on an article, The Old Man and the Gun, for sucker, had a long career robbing banks and he wasn't willing to retire. And so it was an, an article by David Graham. You know, you wrote down here a number of film adaptations from David Graham's work and I just went to novels. That's my own fault. I went to books. And, I know you're in. You know he's a New Yorker. I guy. know he's a New Yorker guy. Yeah, so, and there's another one called Trial by Fire, which is directed by Edward Zwick, based on an article called Trial by Fire. So, 
So three adaptations based on articles. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. So, and then he's forthcoming has the White Darkness, um, Apple TV joint, and then obviously the Wager, like we mentioned. So, Apple TV is doing some some big stuff. Yeah, Alex was talking about it yesterday. We were chatting with him. He was like, Apple TV is like the next. Yeah. The next one. I wish so. they just gave it to you free if you had an iPhone. Like that would be kind of nice. That would be sick. Yeah. Um, they had Silo. I think they canceled Silo. Is that? I think that's true. Are you serious? Yeah. I thought they. I thought they renewed it. But I think they canceled it after, like, during the strikes. I Are you know. serious? We should after the break. We'll <laughs> breaking news after the break. Let's <laughs> clean that up. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> with that, we're going to break. And uh, please listen to a brief word from our sponsor. This episode of the Little Lens Podcast is brought to you by Big Ol. At Big Ol, our mantra is simple: drill, baby, drill, and bring that sweet, sweet nectar of the gods out from the depths from whence it hides. At Big Oil, we extract the crude resources that y'all need to power your homes, to drive your car, and most importantly, to live your life. And one more thing about us before we go. We don't care where the oil comes from, be it the ocean or the Osage Nation. At Big Oil, we'll drill, baby, drill anywhere, any any sweet little time. And we are back. Thank you from that brief word from Big Oil. Big Oil. Uh, big supporters of the podcast. Obviously, they've got a lot of money in the bank that they've slowly but surely headed our way. Uh, the head rights have been coming towards us, right. thankfully. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know they have making great products, and it you know supports you know energy economies, economies, and it's um you know and it's it's not that bad for the environment. Yeah, Oklahoma so is like a is like a beautiful place. Yeah, everyone says. Yeah, if anything, there should be more or more or more spread out, shooting into the into the sky. Yeah, I mean, like, who needs to see the sky when you could see like giant globs of crude oil? Yeah, and then we just light on fire. You know, who what I'm was the first person that saw oil and was like, "I should put a match to this"? No idea. It must. It had to have been an accident, right? Yeah, it's like one of those things that like. Like the first beer ever brewed, I think, was an accident. It just like sat yeah. for a while. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this tastes kind of good. I was reading, I saw something like a TikTok, and it was like, in 200 years, we went from horse drawn carriages to like fighter jets. That's true. Maybe even in 100 years. Yeah. And then it was like, in the 5,000 years before that, <laughs> we went from having a wheel to having a wheel drawn by horses. And think of the 13 billion years before that, yeah. we were dead. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> It's crazy. It is kind of crazy. It's crazy how fast it moved. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a hundred years because there were horse-drawn carriages in the teens, the tens. Yeah, I think um, the Ford Model T is like nineteen nineteen tens, nineteen hundreds, something like that. And then we probably had fighter jets in the (sighs) eighties. Yeah, I mean, we definitely had like ones. We had fighter planes in World War Two. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forty years. Yeah, from like the first band flight to yeah. world war ii when we dropped the nuclear bomb it was like 30 and guess what it's gonna get even crazier this ai is here baby that's right we're gonna be extinct in like should we years. just change our podcast and just <laughs> talk about like what's coming yeah we're uneducated about but we're yeah. like dude you know what's crazy <laughs> two bros talking about AI. that sounds great we should do that yeah. i bet you nobody's done that before no we would be the first i think that's what most podcasts are to be fair definitely honestly. like it's just like yo you know what be have you actually listened to like the Logan Paul? No. Or like any of these like I, I value know. my life. 
You value your time. Yes, that's fair. We should listen to it maybe one day together. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, moving on. (laughs) Um, We are going to talk about the book "Kills the Fly Moon," written by David Gran. Um, We're going to do one of our favorite um, segments here called "Pitch Me, Daddy." I am the studio executive. Eric is um, has owns the rights to the Killers of the Fire Moon and wants to get it made into a big budget Hollywood film. Eric, why adapt something like this in the film? Well, I'll keep going what we've we've been joking about. You want to hear something crazy? I do. Uh, something that you won't find in a history book where you live in Florida. Uh, <laughs> the story told in Killers of the Flower Moon by David Grant, writer for The New Yorker, is crazy. And by crazy, I mean, wow, look at this forgotten and or overridden history. The people of the Osage Nation were the richest people per capita in the United States in the early 1920s. Basically, Great Gatsby, but just in Oklahoma. Same time, same amount of wealth, same craziness. And it's all thanks to the good old U.S. government who forcibly moved this tribe from their homeland to what they thought was kind of a desolate, red-rocked Oklahoma. Only instead of desolate, as we mentioned, this land sits on top of a huge oil reserve, which the natives lease back to the government for profit. And not only is that crazy, but that's kind of a, a great story, right? Hold your horses. Mm. Hold your horse-drawn carriages because mm. it gets even more interesting. The system by which the government provides the Osage with this money by giving each tribal member a head right that can be managed or passed down to beneficiaries was ripe for bad actors to take advantage of. It's the history of America, Well, people trying to take advantage of other people's gains. That's true. For their own gains. Um, and rather than sit idly by while these natives struck it rich, local white folk embedded themselves into these families and basically began killing them for their head rights. And the kicker, it got to be so bad and so little was being done about it that the U.S. government created a new bureau to investigate. Any idea which federal bureau investigates? No. <laughs> so this story is pretty... It's a pretty slam dunk, obvious pick to me to be adapted. It's a crazy chapter in a larger history dealing with the original sin of our country. Um, so thematically, I feel like it's very now, but it's also a story of murder and mistrust and the messiness of family. And though it's a small, relatively small book, um, there's a pretty like rich history and tapestry from which to draw. And there's some um, kind of like interesting, I keep saying interesting, there, there are a few standout characters in here as well. So mm-hmm. there are parts to be played by, um, you know, famous people. Here's $200 million. Thank you. Go make some. That's very easy. Yeah. Um, One day you should tell me why you just wouldn't <laughs> buy it. Yeah. So it's a pretty, especially with who's attached to it, it's a pretty, pretty easy story to tell or easy story to sell, I should say. Yeah. Right. Um there's been a lot of films like dances with wolves um things like this about native americans and how you know their uh plight has sort of um been unfortunate and sort of how unfortunately you know with uh the white savior model Mm -hmm. um was one of these things that has obviously been a trope throughout, but um, it's sort of a similar story here, right? Sort of have a little bit of this white savior, this 
Tom White, I think it is. Yep. Um, FBI agent. Who comes into town and... And his name is White. His name is White, yeah. It's, it's Tom. Yeah. But he comes into town and saves... Essentially, you know, spoiler alert, saves saves the day to a certain extent, obviously. Um, but it's a little bit different in the film, but I think we should talk about this um, as part of the book and, you know, our thoughts on it. But... Um, yeah, do you have any thoughts? Just on the book or, like, specifically? <laughs> no, so, I mean, what you were talking about, which there are, all throughout the history of Hollywood, there are, I mean, the Western is a very mm. important genre to Hollywood history. And there is definitely a way that natives have been portrayed for mm-hmm. decades and decades and decades. And to the point where it's sort of taken for granted that, natives at any point were anything other than like uneducated like savage is a word that comes up a lot right mm-hmm. it's used in this movie um but if you when you read the book and you see the pictures and you understand that these people were the richest people in the entire country it's like a, such a mind-blowing thing yeah to believe that that could be true whatever just the way the history is told mm-hmm. um and so that that is just like a to me that's what like one of the huge things here is like mm-hmm. there was it it's almost i mean we mentioned um we were talking about off my black panther set in wakanda Mm -hmm. which is a similar sort of vibe which is like we're imagining a time and a place when like a a race of black people i guess in africa had this like highly advanced civilization Mm -hmm. um and obviously that is fictional and this is like reality Right. right there was a time and a place when like native peoples had more than white people yeah which is so like I mean, it's unheard of i mean it's yeah it's something that i don't think obviously wasn't taught in uh textbooks it wasn't i had never heard of it before Mm-mm. um i don't think it was widely known um yeah and it's incredibly interesting and you know, obviously incredibly unfortunate um and tragic but yeah it's such a unique situation yeah um that like this story has this story has not been told i don't think really ever before um but yeah were there certain parts of the book that you were excited to see adapted yeah so for me i think one of the realities that we were facing here is that the book is written non-imaginatively and by that i mean like as opposed to a book like the accidental billionaires which we, which we done on this podcast this book is written with an eye towards objective truth dialogue is is used very sparingly if at all people don't really talk um, and when they do, you can tell it's been pulled from like a news clipping or through David Grant's own interviewing, um, things that have been reported. There's no like imagining what a conversation was between two people. Um, and, be- and and because of that, it's not really in service to any character. There are various characters who do various things, but it's not so easy to see people like rising and falling. It's very just like factual, uh, matter of fact, um, I wrote down here it's a lot of it's a lot of the broccoli of the history and not Mm -hmm. a lot of like the fluffy sugary stuff Mm -hmm. um and so i think for the filmmakers when you're looking at this book you have a lot of moments and you have a lot of situations but you don't have a lot of a character's voice you don't have a lot of the like you have the the moment you have like the pillars but you don't have a lot of the filler stuff that Mm -hmm. you would need in a movie because two people in a room probably are going to talk you just don't have any of that you just have the sort of bigger fence posts Mm -hmm. and you need the banisters right right i know about 
was <laughs> anyway um second i think you probably have to make a decision on who the anchor is in the story and we're going to talk more about the framing at parts of this book david grant is a first person character though i'm guessing if you're a filmmaker making this movie in 2023 you probably don't want the experience of a a white investigative reporter talk like telling another story mm-hmm. um i do think there is a real tension between the Osage characters and their white hangers on and the FBI as far as like who should get the shine. And I know we'll, we'll talk about it again later. Um, but I do think there's a, there's a, there is a version of this that is procedural and follows Tom White's FBI man as a main focus. And the story unfolds backwards as things are revealed. And there's a version that unfolds in real time when the crimes happen and the FBI comes in later to save the day mm-hmm. as a tom white savior right has anyone done that that's a good plan where it's tom white savior yeah that's good so just did a- yeah i think for me is like filling in some of the like areas of non-truth that don't exist in the book and then to figuring out who you're who the main character of the movie is mm-hmm. from a rich tapestry of, of folks not a rich tapestry but there's there's a couple of main there's a couple of people that could be mains and you would have to pick who that yeah. person is for you yeah um so what about you were you looking for anything not really. I mean, I'm try- I was trying to think about this question earlier and I'm, you know, I had come into it kind of, you know, understanding and knowing um, that this film is going to have a different point of view. Um, so for me, I was more interested in seeing like, <clears throat> what, if anything, if they did they change? Uh, because this is essentially um, a retelling of a story um that's fictionalized that's based on fact um so i was really interested to see that aspect of it um i think regurgitating um the the text that david graham provided is would have made a you know probably a very captivating movie i uh, made obviously made a very captivating book um but i was i guess more excited to see what liberties were taken um with the adaptation because it was told from a different point of view and because it's told from that point of view you have to sort of take those liberties because you're imagining what situations were like that obviously you know we didn't have access to like historically or in record um so for me that was sort of what i was looking for um with adaptation your brain's been broken by the little lens experience where you yeah it's it is kind of a weird it is weird yeah um that's a story or a conversation for another day but nothing is fun anymore you <laughs> watch everything I you hate my life why did they why is his name why is his name chris but <laughs> yeah. instead of a chris it's k-r-i-s why did they do what that what movie was that that was solaris oh yeah, yeah. Fuck. we should redo that one no <laughs> <laughs> um and did we like reading the book i would say very much um I don't know if we've, I've imagine we've done, we've done several nonfictions. And I think mm-hmm. for me, especially as I get into my thirties, even if I don't like how a book is written, if it's nonfiction at the end of the day, like at a minimum, you learn something mm-hmm. and I kind of like enjoy that sort of stuff. I don't know. It's I, I part of it just becomes like a, a party trick where it's like, mm-hmm. well, did you yeah. know it for a certain time? The Osage, like native peoples were the richest per capita in the United yeah. States. There you go. There you go. You That's all I needed. I now don't, everybody knows. Though. The other 250 pages, unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I think it, it's, it's, it's good to learn something. And if you read a fiction book that you don't particularly like, it's you feel like you've wasted your time. 
you, haven't, you haven't gained mm. anything yeah that's fair but you can gain something here yeah um and then i think uh one of the things that we haven't quite talk about yet but we'll talk about more that i really enjoyed about the book was the ending when david grand goes to osage county um and talks to present day mm-hmm. tribe members about the killings and with their remembrances and some of like the, the history mm-hmm. um it was a very effective way to show the enduring trauma of what happened mm-hmm. um and it it reminds me of the the faulkner quote of uh the past is never dead it's not even past, which is like history is just like always on the same line because mm. those killings affected the current people and it's still like very much a reality for them. Yeah. Um, and I just thought it was a really nice punchy way to end, end the book. Yeah. Um, it's funny, like coming out of a nonfiction book like this, like you get sort of in a way you get different perspectives, although it's coming from one person. Um, somebody like this who's digging into the past obviously has access to the historical documents right historical records but it goes a step deeper or step or two deeper by him going back and interviewing people and talking to them talking about the pain and they even talking about like what they thought happened mm-hmm. um and then investigating even further so it is kind of funny like this book is more um it is essentially a book of, of investigative journalism in a way um sort of like she said um yeah an- another Lutheran's joint but um yeah i mean i i really enjoyed reading it um even like because i'd watched the movie before finishing it um and then it was funny to like still find out new things um that the film didn't provide um they were just really interesting and it's and it's and it's still really sad and like tragic even with you know kind of knowing what happened um it's just kind of it, it's a kind of a crazy story yeah um it's just absolutely savage yeah what these people did like I, yeah because i think one of the questions that automatically has to be posed when you start it by saying these were the richest people in the country mm-hmm. is like what happened because they are no longer yeah. the richest people in the country yeah right true so there is a automatically a very interesting story to be told there yeah because it's mm-hmm. like where to go yeah where the money go yeah yeah um cool is there anything else you want to mention about the book uh, i'm glad i finally read it i've just been staring at it on my shelf for like three years yeah and got it off the shelf knocked it out yeah very fast read yeah um not all not all of our episodes are fast reads that's true so i appreciated that yeah um sometimes you just got to catch a book at the right time i think that's true yeah that's, I, b- I believe that is yeah. a thing you and know. sometimes you got to let it sit. You got to let the book sit on the shelf and marinate because you're not ready yet. Yeah. You're not ready for it. Yeah. It will make itself known when it's ready. Books are like you're ready. loves, you know, sometimes for it to really happen, you have to meet them at the right time. That's right. The right place in your life. It's a little bit like destiny. That's what I think it's a lot like destiny. That's an ex-girlfriend of mine. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. Um, that's it from the book section. We're going to take a quick, a quick break and talk about the adaptation we'll be right back you know you got you got nice color skin what color would you say that is my color oh sage 
They have the worst land possible. But they outsmarted everybody. The land had oil on it. Black gold. Money flows freely here now. I do love that money, sir. <laughs> <laughs> This wealth should come to us. Their time is over. It's just going to be another tragedy. When this money started coming, we should have known it came with something else. They're like buzzards circling our people. We're still warriors. to kill these white men who killed my family. I need you here. I am right here. You've got to take back control of your home. I was uh, sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. See what about them? See who's doing it. Expecting a miracle to make all this go away. You know they don't happen anymore. And we are back. Thank you for listening to the trailer for Killers of the Flower Moon. Go see it and go read it um, if you got some time. Okay, before we get into the adaptation, we are going to talk about Eric learning us something. Eric, take it away. Today, well, we're going to talk about moons, because why not? Yeah, why not? Um, and not just any moons, full moons, spooky Halloween-themed oh. moons. Um, over time, different cultures and native groups have given different names to full moons across the lunar calendar. These names are often tied to their ways of life and were used as a way of keeping track of time, because they're typically m- monthly-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was about to say, there are typically 12 to 13 moons per year, and each moon has a different nickname based on the month in which it appears. So what I have for you is the name of every full moon in every month of the calendar year. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. January, the wolf moon. Okay. February is the snow moon. March is the worm moon. <laughs> April is the pink moon. May is the flower moon. Hence, mm-hmm. killers of the flower moon. Smart, smart. June, or, yep, June is the strawberry moon. July is the buck moon. August is the sturgeon moon. September is the full corn moon, which is my favorite. <laughs> October is the hunter's moon. November is the beaver moon. And December is the cold moon. And your birthday is June? Yeah, so I have a strawberry moon. And mine is March, so I have the worm moon. That's a shitty one. That is, that's a weird one. <laughs> it's not good. Maybe it like, rains a lot in March, so the worms come out of the ground. Oh, maybe. Wolf moon, I like a lot. Wolf moon's cool. Snow moon is cool. Hunter moon is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sturgeon moon, you know, fishing. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's fun. Full corn. Cold moon. Cold moon is not very imaginative. No. It's kind of like, what should we call this one? I don't know. I'm too cold to think. It's cold, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
This is cool. I didn't know this existed. Yeah, there was um, a last year maybe two years ago. I think there was two full moons in October, and um, that's when I first heard the term hunter moon. Mm. And there was another. I can't remember it anymore. I should have looked it up before I did this whole moon research and didn't do the thing that made me want to do this. But there, I think there was like another name for the second full moon in a month. Oh, really? Okay. So we'll we'll look it up. Yeah, there's some interesting things with moons. That's very cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. Memorize these. <laughs> we'll have a quiz next week. Yeah. Um, I just want to say, like you mentioned with nonfiction books, you always get, you always learn something, right? Even if you didn't enjoy it, you always got a tidbit of information, much like the Little Ones podcast. That's right. You're saying this, you didn't enjoy, but you l- at least learned something? I enjoyed some of them. Without looking at it, what is your, what's the March moon? Worm. Oh, yeah. Good job. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'll be here next week. Um, cool. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. Yeah. You know, what else are we going to talk about moons? We are educational. When I we first designed this segment, it was meant to be for like parts of like the written book or like filmmaking mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. And then I'm just like, you know what? Why is it the flower moon? Why limit ourselves? Yeah. You know, life is for exploring. That's true. The internet is for just making new links and going down <laughs> rabbit holes. <laughs> that's we- it. That's what it's for. <laughs> that's true. It is. Okay, we're getting into the movie. Eric, how are you going to classify this? Literal, loose, or reimagined? If you get this wrong again, I might be upset. Because there is a right answer here. Is it loose? <laughs> no. <laughs> is it reimagined? Not, yes. You, you think It's reimagined. No. Of, of course it's reimagined. If, what episode did we do where... I said reimagined and you said no. I have no idea. I immediately forget the episode y- after we talk about yeah, it. Yeah, well, you, your point, which I thought was actually a good point, score one for you, Thank you, which was like a reimagined movie is when you do like Twelfth Night by Shakespeare, but it's an Amanda Ma- Amanda Bynes in high school. Yeah, that's a re- Yeah. That, yeah, that but this is not that. This is just like... This so- is literally a reimagination. What did he do with the text? He reimagined it. It's got the same name, though. It's still called Killers yeah, of the Flower Moon. The story is reimagined. I, this is like the this is the thing that there's it's, no it's reimagined from the perspective of there's no right Ernest way to do and Molly this. Burkhart. The book was from the perspective of Tom White. Well, the second half of the book is from Tom White. Yeah, the first half of well, the book true. is kind of just like all-seeing narrator, and then the last like eighth is David Graham. Right. I was I was saying loose, loose. I disagree. Loose. I mean, it's 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 not it's literal in the sense that. No, it's not literal at all. Have you, look how many differences we have written here. Well, that's true. That's I the guess. thing. Um, that's I'm, I'm not flailing. I'm not. You're spiraling. <laughs> I see it in I'm your eyes. I'm not falling back from my stance. But it's a reimagination of the book. Of the, it's told from a different perspective. That's why I think it's loose. I just, you know, sometimes. So what we need to do, I think, is define them. Yeah, we should have like we should have like other movies that fit into these buckets, mm. or we should have been taking notes of what we've been doing for the past seven yeah. years, <laughs> so we could <laughs> see. Let me, I'll make a note right now. So if Derek, we if we knew that like yeah, loose will reimagine. Um, whatever that we you know what we didn't look up either is the movie starring Chris Hemsworth as the the whale guy. But if like that movie, mm. oh, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Who anymore? cares about that movie? That movie um, sucks. Yeah, my point is that like if we knew what we did with certain other movies, we could compare them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, well we're gonna do some. Maybe this could some be more. our great project, and we would create some sort of, um, like 
like visual timeline yeah and we would plot things we'll do it yeah you, you'll do it i'm not you'll doing <laughs> <it>. <laughs> it's reimagine okay let's get into the differences right. when, now that we've agreed <laughs> um okay. i would like to point out there there is three six nine uh, people like counting there's 12 differences that we have here yeah. So there's quite a few, which le- yeah. lends credence to Will's reimagined take. Mm, thank you. Um, kind of. And the story framing, also, yes. th- which is our first difference, is going to le- lend more credence to my takes. So. Yeah. So like I sort of mentioned, in my opinion, half of this book is research into the murders, uh, including time spent with Molly and her family, her s- four sisters and her mother, um, William Hale, who is the king of the Osage. That's mm-hmm. his self-titled yeah. moniker. Um, he's a white guy that is has a lot of money and does stuff around Osage County, um, and uh, Ernest Burkhart, which is Molly Burkhart, Mo- Molly Burkhart's husband. Mm-hmm. These are sort of the main players in that section. Half goes to Tom White and the FBI and the sort of creation of the FBI by Hoover and Tom White's attempts to investigate federally on a federal level what's going on mm-hmm. um, in Osage Nation. And then the ending is David Grant going to the Osage territory. The movie, you're right when you say it's entirely centered on er- Ernest. Yep. Um, we follow him getting home from the war, meeting De Niro's William Hale, getting acclimated into the town. We're basically always, always with him. Yeah. Um, and when Jesse Plemons, who plays Tom White, shows up, where the movie is basically like two thirds done, there's none of the FBI backstory at all. Yep. He's just, he already exists. It doesn't really matter. Um, and he just comes to town to find yeah. the truth. Right. That's the big difference. Um, I think the why behind it is that films are about people. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I think Truffaut said that. Uh, so in the adaptation, you need to pick a character to develop, but they also need to be our gateway into a new world. Uh, I think here, obviously, there were a few choices. I think the big four are white. Hale, Ernest, and Molly. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about each of them. Okay. And why I think they weren't chosen. So um, we'll get into spoilers in this section, obviously. So if you don't want to be spoiled, time to bounce. Um, <laughs> but if you don't mind, the first character, William Hale, he doesn't really make sense as the protagonist because he's actually the story's antagonist. Yep. So you got to throw him out. Uh, Molly's next. She's an Osage. This is her history. This is about her family, um, and there's probably an argument or a question to be asked, like, why can't she be the protagonist? I think there's probably a case to be made, and the internet will probably tell you that she should be. Mm -hmm. Um, I would probably argue that she doesn't make as much sense because she's the victim of the story, and things are being perpetrated onto her. She's not doing things onto others. Mm -hmm. I think part of the mark of a good protagonist is that they are, like, more of an active participant in the story. and unfortunately for her and this entire story it's like a certain class of people is being acted on by another class of people yeah so that sucks um but i i think for that reason it's a pass yeah um so now we're left with Ernest and tom white i think there's probably a case to be made for either tom white as the sort of white knight see what i did there like that uh Ernest as a henchman doing the bidding of the big bad just from a much closer vantage point i think either is probably legitimate but I think the film goes to Ernest for a few reasons. He's able to travel believably into all the stories worlds. He's both white and like married to an Osage. So he can go wherever. Um, he's also sort of like 
the right kind of dumb. I don't know how mm. else to describe it. Mm-hmm. He he's able to believe that he can be both in love with Molly and also carry on a plot to kill her entire family to get all of the head rights collected onto her and then passed on to him. Um, that's like a huge betrayal, which is I think one of the hallmarks of good stories is mm. betrayal, right? Yeah. Um, and he's also more closely than white tied to the story's big theme, which is basically rampant, uncaring land resource and money grabbing on the part of white Americans. Um, Easy drinking genocide, if you will. Yeah. So I think for, I think, I think crucially to compare the two of them, Ernest is on the inside of what's happening and white is on the, he's on the inside looking out and white is on the outside looking in. I think if you want a protagonist, you would rather have the person inside the house than the person outside of it. And it's a hard, it's hard to make him the protagonist um because he is tom white you mean no um Ernest. it's hard to make him for that right because the protagonist is somebody who is a the hero of the story typically right um supposed to be like the positive influence but he is the protagonist but he 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 is but he's a conflicted protagonist i guess when i think of protagonist i think of like the hero yeah he's not really the hero of the story no uh but he is the most active participant um and it's it's funny too if you change the perspective of the storytelling here if you do have tom white um as a protagonist what does that do to the story like how do you tell that story right you don't get really any information previous you kind of follow tom white's journey so he's coming into it a little bit blind you don't so you don't have you have context of what's happened but you don't see what's happened um, so that's one negative. So you kind of have this sort of, uh, detective story, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a uh, very popular, um, narrative in storytelling, you know, for the history of time. Um, so you could obviously do that, but what does that do to the other characters, right? It immediately makes William Hale, um, and Ernest Burkhart sort of these suspects, um, who are kind of on the tertiary, right? And it also diminishes, uh, Molly's character mm-hmm. in the story um, so you're kind of having this white knight like you mentioned story promote itself again um, which is um, you know obviously has its issues but has been tried and tried and true and is has you know is, is a way to tell a story but it does sort of uh, I, I don't want to say diminish the Osage nations um, part in the story but it does to a certain extent right because you're focusing on the fbi agent as opposed to the people actually li- who live the story yeah um like you mentioned so um and i think that was you know it's been widely reported and uh i think scorsese and De- dicaprio have even stated publicly that um initially this film was going to be told from the story of tom white and i think dicaprio was going to play tom white yeah until they kind of came to uh a crossroads and thought about wh- where is the heart of the story well it's with molly and it's with Ernest uh and their love story um uh, you know quote love story yeah. um but yeah so that is one one big difference in the story and did you what did you think about the difference i think centering it on the two of them and him in particular i suppose made more sense just because i think he took you where you wanted to go mm-hmm. i think you know obviously it's a it's a detective movie if it's tom white and it's more of a straight like 
it's more of a straight family like historical epic mm-hmm. the other way the, like the way he did it yeah um i i think it's all just a matter of like they've done the the white knight white savior perspective going into a foreign place yeah. learning uncovering truths like peeling back the onion mm-hmm. and this way you're just like already in the soup yeah you know what i mean right. don't worry about peeling the onion it's already in that's there. true that's true um and i think it's it's different and i think you know, we talked about like the the centering on a white character unfortunately with this book there's no way to get around it yeah. Hale's white burkhart Ernest burkhart's white and white is white yeah um but i think he's the closest to like the 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 beating osage heart of the story that you can probably reasonably get out of a, a lead character mm-hmm. yeah it's funny thinking about this movie now that that was actually it seems a bit nonsensical that that was their initial uh thoughts idea and, and idea in adapting this book into a movie because if you think about all of scorsese's almost all of his other films have been like within the criminal underworld yeah that's where the story has basically taken place so it's funny that that wasn't their initial thought but obviously they came around to it they were like oh what does scorsese do best right like do you think that so dicaprio made a movie called hoover in like yeah. 2011 with mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood directing it. Do you think he was going to actually call J Edgar, but he made a movie called J Edgar where he played J Edgar Hoover. Mm-hmm. Do you think he wanted to be both J Edgar Hoover in this movie and Tom White? And he would just like <laughs> talk to himself. <laughs> that would be so good. Wasn't that scene great though? When uh, Tom White comes to his door and he's like, um, you know, who, who sent you guys or who's the FBI or you know, who runs it? And it's like, Oh, it's a J Edgar Hoover. It's like, Oh, I never heard of him. Yeah. It's a great little DiCaprio. That little scene has lot. been memed like all, oh, has all across it? the internet. Oh. Yeah. Because, you know, Jesse Plemons gets memed for um, the movie Game Night. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. Oh, that's a great movie. I love yeah, movie. where he's like a, I think he's like a cop or a security guy. Yeah, really weird guy. They're talking about Frito-Lay. He's like, how could that be profitable for Frito-Lay? And every time he's in another <laughs> movie, someone like puts that dialogue over what he's saying. That's good. I like that. So in that scene, he like comes to his door and he's like, how can that be profitable? I need to get on your algorithm. You need to start sending That's a great those. algorithm. <laughs> um, but I think what he says in that scene, too, has been picked up where it's kind of like, uh he's like w- and what are you investigating he's like yeah. we're investigating these murders yeah we're <laughs> investigating <laughs> murders <laughs> it's kind of like a silly dialogue yeah. but it's it's pretty funny yeah it's good um cool so the first difference is story framing that we, uh, we just uh, went over and the second one um the film adds a uh, historical context um, to the story by showing newsreels of the tulsa massacre um yeah so we want to talk about this a little bit yeah, so in the book, obviously, there's the book goes in much different directions because it has the space to do so. Um, one thing it doesn't do is talk about. I think it's I think it's commonly known as like the Tulsa massacre, the Tulsa race massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the in the book, there's no mention of it. In the movie, um, Hale and Burkhart are in the movies and watching a newsreel about um, the Tulsa massacre, which is basically like at a similar time i guess the same time mm-hmm. um tulsa had a very vibrant growing rich like street um that was primarily black mm-hmm. they called it the black wall street and uh i forget exactly what set it off but there was like a huge huge bombing yeah. huge like just total destruction happened mm-hmm. um and this is a, another story that kind of got like lost to history yeah. i know the hbo show Watchmen set its like pilot during that time and mm-hmm. so people 
like learned about it as that movie came out or that TV show came out. Um, but a very similar idea of like this minority group had something going on for themselves and for whatever reason, like it was basically removed and then it was forgotten by history. Right. So there's a very clear parallel between like what was happening to the Osage and how people remember it and what happened to black wall street in Tulsa and how people remember it. Yeah. And so I think there is, if there is a, um, I mean, there, there's multiple readings of this movie, multiple things this movie is trying to get across, but one of them is definitely like the, uh, how history is passed. Mm-hmm. And so by connecting those two things very clearly, it tells you here are two instances in the same, in the same state at the yeah, same time, yeah, yeah. um, that both got kind of just like washed away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an, it's an interesting, um, positioning in the film where you have that sort of, uh, similar <clears throat> incident, um, happening, you know, like you said, within the same state and it's, it's, it is kind of, um, I can't remember where I learned it, but I it was it was interesting when we wa- I watched Watchmen. It was interesting to see it portrayed like that again, uh, and it was interesting to see it here in um, this film. And I think it's it's one of those things where you know Scorsese he doesn't he doesn't have to put this in here. Like they don't have to talk about it, but it just adds a layer of um, interest as well as like retelling. Right? It's just another instance of retelling that story so that nobody forgets it right it's another instance of like this was erased from history let's bring this back to light and let's also foreshadow what's going to happen to you know the osage yeah but yeah so what'd you think of it you like it yeah i liked it i I thought it was conceivably they probably would have seen something like this in the newsreels if they went to the theater so it made like logical sense to me it didn't feel out of place um and yeah i think it just because that's a a thing De Niro's character talks about is like history mm-hmm. and the relationship between the whites and the Osage. Um, and so like that putting him there to watch that, like made a lot of sense for his character because he's sort of the person who is like, all, all this is just going to be forgotten. Yeah. You know, yeah. they'll remember me, but they won't remember like that. You know, right. I'm, yeah. So, um, awesome. And then, Number three, Molly never goes to D.C. to meet uh, Calvin Coolidge, the president. Yes. So in the book, and fill this in if I'm, if I'm getting it wrong, but the Osage do petition people, do, do send people to go to D.C. to petition the government to have them basically pay attention to the murders. Yeah. And through that action, they sort of like set off a chain of events and they, they do self-fund a lot of the investigation themselves, yeah. the Osage people. Yeah. Um, in the... And Molly doesn't go. Remind me if I might be misremembering, but doesn't the one of the Osage he like undresses or he derobes before? Um, I don't think it's the president, but it's like if somebody yeah of note, yeah um, to sort of like get their attention essentially, like because yes. they're basically like, oh, we we don't have time to speak with you right now. Yeah, and he just derobes. He gets completely naked and is like, yes. we need to talk to you. Yeah. Right? Is that that happened? That happened. Okay, I recall that. I wasn't sure if that was just like me, like dreaming that. Yeah, I don't know. but yeah. So she doesn't go, but it obviously adds a little bit, a layer to the story of this narrative, right? Yeah, and obviously she goes. This basically happens in the movie too, but she goes, and instead of like a random government official, it's the president. Yeah. Um, a big year for lesser known 
U.S. presidents, right? Harry Truman and Oppenheimer. We talked about Oppenheimer. Oh, before. sure. Yeah. And now Calvin Coolidge and uh, Killers of the Moon. There you go. Shout out to those guys. Is there a list? I wonder if there's a list of like all if all the presidents have been featured in a movie at some point. Oh, interesting. Like, are there's like William Henry Harrison? Is he ever in a movie? Probably not. Yeah, that's tough. We should figure that out. Yeah. Someone, one of our listeners, write in. <laughs> Just start doing that. Um. Yeah, but so f- for me, I think we, I mentioned that Molly is kind of the victim here. This opportunity for her is her biggest chance to make a difference in her own story mm-hmm. uh it's the moment she tries to have some agency it's the moment that also pushes the fbi into the story so it's an important story beat um it also is an example of her being a fighter which comes in, is important later on when she gets sick um and then you know we don't have a lot of other relationships with Osage people in the movie besides her and some of her mm-hmm. sisters who get picked off one by one and her mom. So as far as like people that would go to do such an important thing, yeah. it sort of makes sense that it's her because we know her and mm-hmm. it gives her characters a little extra vibrancy. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, and then she becomes more of the hero, the active participant in the story as well. Yeah. Um, towards a solution. Okay. Um, number four, Hale never paddles earnest. Uh, this is your favorite scene that we know of that's true it could have happened yes (laughs) but yeah this was i mean this was an amazing scene in the movie where um basically Ernest is caught by hale for getting a little side deal done a little uh insurance deal with blackie thompson um where blackie uh steals quote unquote steals um Ernest's car and is actually caught by the authorities and Hale finds out about it and it's embarrassing. So he brings, brings Ernest into this wild room. Yeah. Has black and white tiles, almost like a chessboard, and has these like weird statues kind of around. And it's just this long kind of dark room. There's a lectern kind yes. of, right? Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> it's a very funny scene because, um, Brian, is it Byron or Brian? I think it's Brian. I think that's right. I can't. What? What? what whoever. They're his brother. Byron. He says, "Put your elbows like this." And he leans over the table, put his elbows on there, so his butt's hanging out, or you know, sticking out. And yeah. um, he hand Byron hands um, Hale a big old wooden paddle. Yep. Starts spanking him really loud, and it's a cringy scene because it it looks like it actually hurts. It hurt me. Yeah. Watching it, and then he <laughs> mentions that he's part of the Freemasons. He's a 32nd Mason or something Yes, like yeah, yeah. Which I thought was interesting as well. It's like, wow, this is such a... Fr- like, this is where Fraternity Brothers got this from. Freemasons. Yeah. Is or that true? Scene. Uh, I don't know. But yeah. like, yeah. Yes, you can that's, make that connection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, so this is... I mean, this is purely for cinematic uh, value, right? But it also plays into the dynamic between Hale and Ernest, where this is like the... There are th- uh, maybe three or four instances without throughout the movie where Hale belittles Ernest in a way that he's a child, mm-hmm. and Ernest sort of succumbs into that child character and um, sort of like freezes, yeah, or just accepts his punishment, right? Um, but what do you think? I I think we forgot, I guess, to say that Hale is also Ernest's uncle, so there oh, yeah. is. It, though there is like a there is definitely a father-son relationship there right so it's mm-hmm. um i totally agree with what you've said it was sh- to be shot in kind of an interesting way too where leo is like so much bigger than the lectern where he is mm-hmm. like yeah. the perspective makes him look 
like a giant and De Niro is much smaller and he's as he's yeah. like spanking him you sort of see that the size difference is immense but also the power dynamic is actually flipped mm-hmm. um and i think it's a good just a really good reminder that uh though hale is an old man he's still the one in control he has the power he has like the the, the violent power as it were mm-hmm. um so i thought it was it was also very shocking i yeah. suppose because i don't know i didn't really expect that to happen um but i it was sort of the one just another example like you said of control yeah yep and it's a scene that sticks out um probably remembered for for a very long time okay uh number five here rita and bill death differences um so rita and bill smith um in both stories they are blown up their and house explodes we just say rita is molly's brother sister oh my god <laughs> and then bill's her husband yeah yeah and um so they live in the same neighborhood um as ernest and uh molly and um their house explodes in the middle of the night and everybody dies um bill in this in the book bill actually hangs on for a few days um but everybody else dies immediately there are differences with who commits it or who's sort of insinuated to commit it so in the film it's insinuated blackie thompson um puts a dynamite underneath the house and blows him up because there's a scene prior to that where Ernest is basically telling him you need to do this right now mm-hmm. um also so in the in the book um it's noted that uh, I forget the name of the person who committed it but Hale essentially recruits um a confidant of his who is actually already in prison he sneaks him out of prison um he goes and sets the bomb and then he sneaks him back into prison yeah um do you remember who it is I no. can't remember the name. Um, so that's one difference. Are there any others? Well, the the way that um, Molly, the night of where Molly is. Oh, yes. Yeah. So Molly, um, in the film, um, Molly is actually at Bill and Rita's house with their Ernest and Molly's children. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually see the scene where... Um, Ernest is basically escorting them into their house away from Bill and Rita's house um, and basically being very like, you need to be at the house tonight. You know, you need to tell me where you're going. Very, he's very agitated and upset that this had happened. And Molly's kind of brushing off. Like this is we're we're just over at Bill and Rita's. It's my sister's house. It's not a big deal. Why are you getting so upset? Yeah. Obviously playing into the fact that Ernest, uh, from our uh, point of view, that Ernest knows what's about to happen. Um, in the story, in the book, um, there's a bit of a difference where um, one of the kids actually has uh, an earache, I believe it is, and um, that is why they leave the house, or they don't go to over to Bill and Rita's house. Yeah, um, they're not there at all. I they're think. not there at all. Yeah, and um, Ernest is still with them the whole night, uh, but it's a point of contention with margie who we find margie burkhart who's the granddaughter of molly later on in the book as to you know how could Ernest have kind of been with you know have his kids at bill and rita's or taken a bill to bill and rita's etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah although that didn't happen according to molly um but yeah so that's one difference yeah one. I, th- I think one of the hard things that this movie tries to accomplish and that people have 
uh, rallied against is like whether or not Ernest's love for Molly is either real or could be is reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what the movie tries to do is is like really bring that out to explain a lot of his behavior. And so for me, the Bill and Rita stuff is both an example of building suspense. Like, oh, you were in the place where you were not supposed to be and I could have blown you up and yeah. therefore I'm very sad. And that kind of shows you his feelings toward his his wife. Yeah, He's not like concerned that he is pulling off a job, which is blowing up a house with two people in it. Mm-hmm. He's concerned that like his wife was going to be there. So I think that, that tells you kind of a lot of what you need to know about him, yeah. which is like, I love you. And also like, I'm going to kill your family. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Kind of like King George in <laughs> Hamilton, you know. Right? Yeah. Um, but two, there is uh, a scene right before that where he goes over there to collect her, and he has like a one-on-one with Bill in like the sitting room. Yeah. And you can sort of tell he what he's doing in his mind is coming to terms with the fact that he's going to kill him, mm-hmm. and he's basically like, you know what? I've never liked you. I don't like talking to you. I don't like being around you. I don't like these things about you. And to me watching that, I'm like, okay, this is his way of being like, I don't care enough about you yeah. to worry that I'm going to have to do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm telling myself that it's okay yeah. by saying, I don't, I, if you were gone, I wouldn't bother me one bit. Yeah. That's a great point. Uh, I'd actually forgotten about that scene, but that is a great fucking scene. Yeah. Um, and that's Jason Isbell. You know that? I didn't know that. Uh, he looked familiar, but he, he's a country singer, right? Yeah. Or yeah. Um, I was like, that guy looks so familiar. And there's Sergio Simpson was also in this, wasn't he? Yes. He's the like very blue eyed guy with brown hair who um, drives his truck into a tree. Oh, he's, that's him? Yeah. Okay. He's the guy that Hale goes with to Texas when they blow up the house, actually. That's him. Okay. Yeah. I thought, okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. It's cool that they brought in some. Uh, but they were good, I thought. They were good. Yeah. I think, um, have you seen this? I don't know if I brought this up on the podcast before i think i did actually during daisy jones there's this whole movement of like casting people who have the right face for the time period oh and it's like those two guys have like old faces yeah like old timey faces you know what i mean yeah um whereas like in daisy jones everyone's like though these people know about smartphones like they don't look like they're from the 70s (laughs) jason isbel was very weird he just looks kind of weird yeah he's got like kind of like chipmunk cheeks a little bit and he uh he looks a little bit sinister yeah 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 I thought that was a, that was a great scene with him and Leo because I felt the same way. Like I agree with Leo. Like that guy creeps me out. Yeah, and we I guess we could say too that Bill has been investigating like the murders himself. Yeah, and so he was a loose end that um, the good people of you know Pasco wanted yeah. to tie up. Yeah, so. and I think he he knew what was happening. He just couldn't prove it. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So anyways, uh, next difference here. Ernest is old. So. In the book, I think you mentioned that Ernest was like in his late twenties. Yeah. Um, and in the film, obviously Leo was like fifty, right? Yeah. So, but I think he's probably playing like a thirty, forty year old guy. He's definitely playing younger. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think he's probably meant to be the same age as Lily Gladstone. Yeah. Or around it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, what do you want to comment on anything with this difference? Um, he has a son named Cowboy, which I thought was silly. It is. A I kind of. It's like. A nickname, yeah, but like your like Christian name, name, you know, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's a little different. Um, you mentioned this before. As you do research about this movie, you realize that Leo was meant to play Tom White mm-hmm. in a, the movie where Tom White was the focus. Um, and as they recrafted it, obviously this became the movie star part. So I, I think it's the difference is basically like I rewrote this movie with my 
abilities and I'm getting this movie made. I'm playing, <laughs> I'm the, playing the guy. Part. I'm playing the guy. Um, and I think he, I, I mean, seriously, I think he's like kind of on the line of being miscast. Oh, really? Because I think, I mean, he's really old. Yeah, but like, does it really change the story that much for you? I guess not. But there's something about like an old man doing all this, like De Niro, and and then like Leo being 50 and falling in love. Interesting. And like having, you know, a son named Cowboy. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I think it, there's a there's a world where the the where he is Tom White and Jesse Plemons is. Um, yeah. Ernest. I can see that too. I don't. Jesse Plemons is not as like. What's weird is like Leo is not a love guy. You know what I mean? He he doesn't. I don't know that he plays like husband. Not, he yeah. doesn't play a normal husband. Right. He plays. He always plays like a fucked up husband. And the part of this movie is like believing that they are in love. Yeah. And so it's a it's kind of a difficult part, and I think yeah. it needs a a pretty good actor. Yeah. Um, and so I think he's like, I think he's like up for it, but I also think that I wish he was. You know, it was two thousand eight. Yeah, I don't know. I I I, I kind of disagree with you. I don't think it didn't bother me at all. Like the age thing. Like I, I this is the first time I'm really even thinking about it. Um, and I don't think it, I, yeah, I don't think it changes the story at all. Well, it didn't. Well, so, but that's why it's not, re- that's why it's not reimagined. That's why it's, <laughs> oh, that's why it's loose. <laughs> um, cool. And then, so Hale's villainy is revealed early. So obviously this is sort of like, um, because of the story framing, um, we're introduced to, uh, William Hale through Ernest Burkhart when he arrives back from war and they're talking about, you know, what have you been up to? What, what do you want to do? How this is how things are run here. And he has this great line where he's like, you know, call me what you used to call me back when you were a kid. He's like, Oh, King. He's like, yeah. Call me King. Call me King. So you sort of immediately get this like, oh, this guy's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. this guy needs this little ego boost. That's like first five minutes of the movie. Yeah. yeah. So, and then as time goes on, all these conversations start popping up with him in earnest where he's like, oh, um, you know, you, you know, you need to basically, the Osage are very intelligent um, and a way to get with them is to marry them and to get their money, access to their money is to marry them um, and sort of like pushes Ernest in this direction. Um but obviously in the book, a lot of that is, that would be subtext, right? That's not really explained in the book. Um, that's a that's sort of a big creative uh, choice from the filmmakers because mm-hmm. um, that's not really uh, a thing in the book. But um, yeah, did you like this difference? What did you think about it? I This is one of the things that I had the hardest time sort of coming to terms with because the you know, who doesn't like a good reveal, right? right? Which is basically like, oh, you know, there has been a wolf in the hen house this whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, like in the movie, Marty, which is what I call him, puts the the badness of Hale. And I guess we didn't really mention this, but Ernest too. Ernest is, he... He's got two sides to him. He's got two sides. And I think like two thirds of the way through, maybe a little bit earlier, we realized that he's actually in on stuff. Yeah. We weren't exactly sure, but then it, it becomes apparent that he is. Um, and so I think 
giving those up early helps us as the audience sort of like f- hate them, mm. which is important because this movie is kind of about Ernest attempts to save himself. Mm. And so by showing us like two people who are sort of on the same track of badness, when one makes a decision later on to try and be good, there is like the possibility of savior. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. So by showing the bad, we can, we can believe there is a change to the good, but if it's, if it's like a quick reveal that they're bad, then you sort of don't have the time to revert anything. Mm-hmm. You sort of need the time to show growth and the starting point has to be lower to get them higher. Do you think that's a hindrance? Like having the reve- reveal so early or like more difficult? Does it make it more difficult to like keep the interest of the story? You know, it, the thing is like, because it's not a detective story, I think it works because mm-hmm. they're, you don't need it. You're not like trying to fi- figure things out. Yeah. Like that's, this is why I'm having a hard time with it because I so liked it in the book. Yeah. And I went into the movie thinking that, that was going to kind of happen, yeah. but it doesn't. Um, and so the entire question of the movie changes. It's not who did it like it is in the book. Right. It's sort of like w- w- why, or in addition, um, like, can you, can you fix it? Can, can yeah. Ernest as a character does like, does love actually conquer all? Yeah. Can love conquer this guy basically killing like all the siblings of his wife's family and trying to kill her. And trying to kill her to get her money yeah. while also deeply loving her. Yeah. Are those like two things that can be compatible? It's an interesting question, right? Yeah. It's an interesting way to frame a story. Yeah. And um, I, I yeah. think the answer, I think the answer is probably no. Right. Mm. Um, I guess we, we can skip ahead too, but like what happens is Ernest and Hale sort of go down together and there is a moment when Ernest can do the right thing and he does from a legal standpoint. And there's a second moment and maybe we'll just talk about it in a second, but there's a second moment where he can do the right thing on a personal level mm-hmm. and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole point of the movie is to say like these people like given all of the opportunities yeah. did the wrong thing yeah, all the time. Yeah. And so you think I'm setting this guy up to be saved and you've seen movies where this guy is saved yeah. and obviously he's going to be fine. Cause you know, right. legally he's protected, whatever, mm-hmm. but like morally this guy is just always repugnant. Yeah. It, eventually he makes the right decision after his daughter dies. Yeah. Um, at the very, very end, but it doesn't save him. It's not enough to save him. Cause well, I'm, I'm talking about the moment after that too. Right. Where it's him and her together. Oh, Oh Yeah. He doesn't admit he to doesn't, trying yeah. to kill her. And we'll talk about that in a second too, but yeah. I think it's it's like on a platter for him to save himself. Yeah. He even says when he does the right thing legally, he's like, I've I've gotten rid of all my lies. And then he lies one more time. And then he lies one more time. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, it is kind know, of a great way to Snakes with him, in the grass. <laughs> you know? Kevin Durant. They're always there. KD, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Coyotes. That's true. Because she calls him a coyote. He looks like a coyote. Coyote. Acts like a coyote. That's true. Coyote she should have known. She should have known. She does know. I mean, she walks out. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, Hale's villainy is revealed early. Yeah, it's a kind of interesting way to frame a story. And I think 
not to keep talking about this, but like I had a hard time watching it the first time because it was just such a, I'd never really seen a movie like this before, I think, like that's told in this way. I'm not sure. At least I can't think of, I can't think of one um, that's been kind of like this, but. Um, I think that's why there's so much onus on the the actor who plays Ernest because yeah. it's like an impossible task for you to prove that you can believably love somebody while at the same time being like a dastardly person. What was your take on his performance? I don't know. I'm. It's hard. Mm. It's a very it's a very hard task for an actor. Yeah. To play both. I thought he did. I, I thought it was very good. Yeah. Like. Um, I've been I noticing some of like similar Leo just like isms across some of his movies that have mm. kind of bothered me when I was watching the movie for some reason. Like what? Like he, he just likes to say like, all right, you know, like hurry up now. Mm. And like, right. He, uh, he ends a lot of his like fr- phrasing with like, right. Oh, okay. Question mark. Mm, interesting. I don't know. Yeah. It's like small little things. I did like, but uh, he's always just like, all right, all yeah. right now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he, there were a few, there were a few scenes where he like kind of loses his temper. Um, mm-hmm. which I thought was like classic leo where he's she's not really willing to take the shots yeah right and he's like screaming at her like this is for your own good blah 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 i'm like doing all these things for you and then there's also the time where he's yelling at blackie thompson on the street like you need to do this right now right now that's not blackie thompson that's uh that's the uh moonshine guy isn't it isn't that blackie no blackie thompson is younger he's the guy in like the interrogation room interrogation room. You're, you're thinking of the moonshine guy who has like uh yeah uh, the scar on his face yeah and he's like he's blind that's not blackie no that's a different guy that's blackie no oh you're right yeah you're you're right oh fuck what's his name i don't know but he's he's uh he works for sturgill simpson's character this moonshine guy and he he knows everything like, he knows yeah because he flips at the end I forget he comes into name. the deposition you're absolutely right yeah that guy has a great face yeah he does yeah that face is like one of one um, that guy has never seen a smartphone in his life he probably lives in puck so that guy doesn't even know what apple is <laughs> we'll reach out get him on the pot and see if he knows what apple is you like we'll so you ask him about steve's steve jobs and he's like what jobs does steve have you know <laughs> tim cooks i'm sure tim does cook you know tim does cook he's always cooking anyway he does have a great face. Um, okay. So next difference doesn't include Anna Brown's unborn baby uh, was Hales. Okay. So this is a difference. Uh, so this is, this is one of my problems with the movie. Um, Cause it doesn't explain why they killed Anna. Um, so in, so in the book, it is revealed that there were several people who assumed or had knowledge of, Hale and Anna Brown's uh, relationship or mm-hmm. affair. And it's revealed in both stories that um, Anna was pregnant. Um, and when she was killed. Yeah. When she was killed. And that's, is that is the assumption of why they killed her. Um, but that's one part of the film. That's not, there's no allude allusion to that there. I mean, I think you could allude that, um, you didn't see it when they cut open her skull in that like excruciating I didn't see that. four minute. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was a gross scene. That was really gross. Um, Sorry. Go ahead. You, you, you can allude that it was Byron or Bi- Brian, whichever. Yeah. The, the brother yeah. of Ernest um, who 
had maybe had an affair with her and um, maybe had gotten her pregnant. Because he, they are, at, you know, there's that one scene where he, she sits on his lap, she's drunk, and he kind of tells her to get off, and they fight and all this. Um, but Hale was not mentioned, so this no. is something for me is actually a misstep in the movie that I just didn't, I didn't like because it doesn't justify. I mean, not that any of these things justify killing these people, but like, like why kill her? You know what I mean? Like why? What's for the head rights too, right? So like, but like, because if I think the, yeah, it it was a, a bit of a convoluted like if you kill her, her head rights go to her mom, and then her mom when her mom dies, it'll go to Molly or back to Molly or whatever. Um, so the the like, the way the beneficiary like thing works is I guess you're right is a bit complicated. I guess you're right. Yeah. But at the same time, to your point, like if Hale's gonna be the bad guy, and we know that, yeah why not give him like a little extra yeah. which is to say like not only is he um like killing people he's like using them as yeah his own personal i don't know head right funnel yeah not only is he like fucking them over yeah. one way he's fucking them over another way <laughs> yeah yeah you know what i mean Literally. um so i don't know yeah like this and 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 the reveal of hale being a villain early on is is like the hardest part i have with this movie yeah um and maybe watching it again will help i know you've seen it twice but it, it's just I, it, to me I, the read on this is that the film wants to keep its focus on greed on the yeah, money yeah. and not on some of the extracurricular stuff that was happening and you sort of get the sense that like she's a pr- she's she's a drunk mess mm. and I don't know. There, there is there is an air of mystery to the killing in the book, which is like, yeah, she was like wasted all the time. Yeah. Maybe she fell. Maybe yeah. she went there with a guy, and like it was an accident or something. Mm-hmm. There's an air of mystery to to it. That's not an automatic like murder. Right. And this is is very clearly everything is very clearly done. The murders are very obvious. Yeah. There's no like mysterious death. It's like obviously this is a murder perpetrated by Hale. Right. There's no nuance to it. There's no like other read yeah it is what it is yeah and so like the, the plainness of that versus and i think this is the hardest part about having this podcast which is knowing mm. the truth yeah. and knowing what could have been or whatever yeah this is the point of why people get mad at um, this is why people get mad about yeah. these things right you sort of know how good it could have been or how different yeah. it was or how much you preferred it it's a weird choice and you didn't get it leaving yeah. that out uh and then it's still revealing that she's pregnant like it's just an odd anyways yeah like hale's already vile you know just make him yeah just make him yeah, even worse yeah um and then our next one is ernest doesn't meet the townspeople after the trial adjourns um so talk to me about this one yes so in the book ernest is uh, persuaded to be a key witness against hale um and basically testify against him when the trial starts, Ernest goes up to testify and Hale's lawyer claims that Ernest is his client and he should have had a chance to talk to him before the case starts. The trial is immediately adjourned and Ernest leaves the courtroom with Hale's people. And what happens after that is is not like speculated on. It's mm-hmm. just sort of told, again, like very straight, very factual. In the movie, the film is happy to speculate. Um, it basically shows us what happens after Ernest leaves. Mm-hmm. He goes to Hale's house, which is, you know, like a very, like, I think a really good shot. 
like walks into this room and it's like 40 white people yeah like you know fat faces just staring at him like yeah what are you doing bro it's, that's another great scene yeah um he's accosted you know in a room full of white faces including the guy who both manages like all of the head rights for mm-hmm. the osage and is also part of the kkk he's like got the big fat like jolly oh, face yeah. that's in the middle there yeah um and i think we can probably assume some version of this took place in real life like this is an attempt for all those people to get Ernest to turn back and not testify um which does happen Ernest flips um and so I think Ernest at, at that point in the movie what Ernest is going to do in the trial is very important because mm-hmm. it basically tells you if, if Hale is going down or not so Hale's finally put to try for all of his crimes and Ernest is like the key guy that can send him to prison or keep him out of prison yeah um and so his decision to flip is a very key moment for his both his character and the story and so i think visualizing that in the movie has to be done yeah you can't just have him make a decision off camera of this importance yeah um and it's i just think it's a really good shot of all those people (laughs) like is great all of the town's white power i'm like powerful white folk I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah is like collected in a room yep and they're like all right what do we have to do to get you <laughs> to do what we want it's funny too because they they use the same tactic that hale uses on Ernest about uh making him feel like a child again by just sort of like i think they call him brendan fraser calls him a little boy like yeah right like i can't remember exactly what he says but he just belittles him and yells at him and calls him a boy and says you need to do right by us and stop acting stupid kind of thing yeah and it works and it works um it flips him and then he has to flip again later on but um that's interesting that he calls him a boy because it's it, the through line is basically like you're a child yeah we do what's best for you basically yeah like hale is is uh i'm sorry not hale Ernest is like a, a kind of a, a i don't want to say dumb guy but he's not i think that's right i think that's how they sort yeah. of describe him it's tough because he, he just isn't educated i guess yeah well therefore he's dumb i guess that's fair but i think they but try like, to yeah because they they play with him they yeah. mess with him whatever mm-hmm. um which is another thing about leo is like leo doesn't seem dumb that's why you act baby that's right <laughs> you're right <laughs> <laughs> um and then Ernest and hale's face off in jail never happens so yeah so towards the end um when so Ernest flips again after his his daughter dies. He comes to grips with what's important to him, and that's his family, uh, yeah. protecting his other child and Molly, and sort of getting out of this this whole mess and just like putting an end to things. Um, so he, I can't remember, where, I can't remember where he comes from, but he he pro, he approaches Hale and basically says like it's over, kind of thing, like you're done, like, and Hale's like no, like the people love me, they know who's done right by them this whole time and and then eventually as he you know uh Ernest walks away uh Hale kind of pleads out like please don't you know it 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 was a funny scene I I don't know if it did anything for you it kind of fell flat for me I feel like it was almost too realistic like I wanted more cinema in that moment than I wanted like a real portrayal of what actually happened it was like a little flat yeah like it was too it was a bit um it didn't have like a crescendo yeah, there was no De Niro screaming. Yeah, like you know I feel mean? like I wanted that. Yeah, because it is a movie, but like it's, you know, 
they also have to play it realistically. So I get that as well. Yeah. But what'd you think of it? This, this is another one where it's like uh, in the, in real, in reality, in the book, he, when Ernest is ready to flip again, he's like in, he's by himself. He's not with anybody else. Right. Mm -hmm. He's not next to Hale in the jailhouse. And he just passes the prosecutor a note that says like, I'm ready to talk. I'm ready to do it. Like I'm tired of lying. And then this is like, again, this is one of the biggest moments. And I, it's, you know, you got to face down the villain. The antagonist has to face down with the protagonist. Um, they got to duke it out. I agree with you that for like a Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro scene, it felt like fairly underwhelming for what your expectations of that might be at Mm -hmm. such a pivotal moment of a, of a movie. Um, which is, you know, probably your mileage may vary on how you feel about it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did, I, I I agree with you that it felt like kind of mannered in a way that like Robert. So I think this goes back to the larger point we're making about Hale, but I feel like it could be fairly flat because Hale sort of knows he sort of has an idea of the long game of this, which is like kind of, kind of doesn't matter what you say because these people are going to side with me because I've been doing all these things for them. And even if they don't like people are going to forget about this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And what you, what you think you're doing is important, Yeah. but I can tell you that it's not right. And so even though he's, he doesn't want him to testify, I think deep down he's sort of like, get the next one, you know? Yeah. We took strike two, but we, that's maybe three strikes. <laughs> that's true. I'm going to three strikes for a reason. Park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then a couple more differences here. Ernest never admits that he knew Molly was being poisoned. So you have to walk me through this one because I, I don't remember exactly what happens in the book. It's just not really... I think this is part of the way it was written where like she was being poisoned, right? But there's yeah. there's nothing in the factual record that suggested that Ernest like knew about it or was like was willfully. was doing that or yeah, but that doesn't mean that he didn't do it. It just yeah. meant that he didn't say anything on the record anywhere, right? right. Um, that he was doing that. But it, this is where I kind of want to talk about that the final scene with her. Mm. Um, so in the in the book, she's she is being poisoned, right? And she yeah. gets swept away to a hospital like just in time mm-hmm. for real doctors to save her. We haven't talked about the Schoen brothers, who are like the town doctors who basically are paid off by hail to yeah. give people bad medicine and kill them with the guise of like no we're trying to help and you possibly hide uh bullets and brains yeah yeah uh dastardly folks yeah <laughs> um in the movie because leo's character injects her with insulin she has diabetes mm-hmm. and they found this new thing called insulin yeah. um he's the one that injects her they hail gives him poison and this is kind of when we realize that Leo is a bad guy. He starts putting poison in the insulin, injecting yeah. her, and she deteriorates physically, mentally, whatever, whatever. Um, so I, the key difference there is in the book, we don't really know that he's doing that. Mm-hmm. And there's a patina of like, he does really love her and he's not a bad guy. And yeah. in this movie, you don't have that. You don't have that at all. Yeah. You know that he's poisoning her. You know that he's the POS. Yeah. You know the the you know the reality of what's happening right um and so what i think is and we sorry <laughs> i just, we're playing we just touched here. Three, yeah. um <laughs> when after he turns on hail 
there's a moment where he goes into a little conference room with his wife and she asks him, she's healthy again. Yeah. Did you, what was in the insulin? Right. Yep. yep. You've been injecting me with insulin. What have you been giving me? Yeah. I didn't trust the doctors. I told you to pick it up off the train. The insulin. You were the only person that had the insulin from the beginning to the end. And I was doing poorly and you were the one injecting me with it. What was in it? And this is his moment, right? Yes. To sort of come to terms with everything. Yeah. Because we think he's turned this corner. He just said, I'm done with lying. Literally. <laughs> yes. Like, right right then. <laughs> and then what happens? And then he lies and yeah. says, just insulin, baby. And then she, I don't know if she, re- like, has a big reaction. I think she just looks down, realizes that he cannot be trusted. Yeah. Um, And just well, and gets leaves. up and leaves. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't really understand what happened. Yeah. He's kind of looking around like. Should I did, I, did I <laughs> did I fuck up or like is she coming back? Like yeah. what's going on? Um great scene. Great scene. Um it's too bad because you think like like I was thinking about this earlier, like what would be her or maybe I was I was listening to the a big picture podcast and they were talking about reels for you know they show mm. reels for acting when they're uh, in the Academy Awards. Yeah. And like that would be a great one to show for her, I feel like, but you can't because it's it's too much information. That's true. She's she also has a very understated character. Yeah, like she's very quiet and stoic and powerful in like omission. Yeah, she she has like a very good face yeah, and yeah. like look and right. glare. Yeah, it's she's like not gonna take shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's very obvious from just looking at her. Yeah, I would say because um, I know we really haven't talked about her much, but uh, when. Leo gets back from looking at the rubble under Bill and Rita's house and he like goes to their basement and she's down oh, there she's with her crying. family oh, and he yeah. just was like, she like Screaming. wails. Yeah, yeah. That was like, that, that was messed pretty. me up. Yeah. That was really brutal. I think <laughs> that was the best I've like, that was the best acting I think I saw yeah. Yeah. was that moment. It yeah, made me kind of like tear up a bit. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Cause that's the moment she realizes like I'm affecting. next and like, all my entire family is gone now. Like, yeah. This is seriously happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was a great scene. Um, I also wanted to ask you when you're talking about the poison, do you remember the scene where Leo takes pour- it? Yeah. He takes the poison. Yeah. And then he's fine the next day. Um. Well, he, well I guess cause she kept taking it like every day. Right. I guess. Yeah. And he just takes it once, but he is a little messed up when he goes, cause that's when he goes to get interrogated by Tom White in the little conference room. Oh, he is a little bit like, cause that's one of the funny parts of the movie right. where he's like, why am I standing? Yeah. Like, can I sit? And they're like, you can do whatever you want. He's like, yeah. stand is good. I stand. Is, yeah. Stand is good. <laughs> I'll stand. And then he like cuts back later and he's like, why aren't I sitting? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was actually really great. I think but he that, was kind of like up on the meds or whatever. Yeah. Um, but they were a weird choice to take it. Maybe he wanted to feel like kindred with her or that was like a dose he didn't give her. And he took himself to you know, feel how she's feeling. Yeah, it was an interesting moment in the movie that, that I think was like, oh, my God, he's trying to kill himself. But um, mm. obviously he was – that was the, the thought that I had, like, oh, my God, he's trying to commit suicide. Um, but, you know, is he lives and, and everything's fine. But it's just that it's another insight into his character where it's like, you know, he he's – trying to feel pain because he, uh, he may not be coming to grips with how he's what he's doing yes I, that's her. a good point like he might want to figure out what he is he might he's trying ugh, he's probably trying to figure out what he's doing yeah he's like am i actually killing my wife because yeah. that would be kind of a big deal for me yeah but she would, turns out no i feel great <laughs> it's, it's like, fine. It's like codeine 
Um, cool. And then our last one is the ending. So um, the end of the film is basically this radio uh, play. Yeah. Um, I forget what it's called. Um, I wrote it down somewhere. Um, but basically, it's this radio play that reenacts sort of the story. Mm-hmm. It sort of gives you – it's doing two things. It's giving you um, how things were in the 1920s um, as well as giving you sort of the uh, – you know how in movies they have – Title cards. The title cards, yes. They yeah. tell you essentially what happened after this the story ends essentially. Like, you know, he went off to jail for the rest of his life and he died in prison or – molly lived happily ever after kind of thing so they give you that information of bill hale and ernest burkhardt and molly and how she got remarried to the cop cop guy and all this and all all that um the lucky strike hour is what it's called Mm -hmm. um in the book obviously it doesn't play out like that because that's a visual thing uh for the movie but it is mentioned in the book so the lucky strike hour is or at least was I guess a radio hour play um, and the FBI actually worked with them to dramatize their stories of the Osage yeah. and what happened, um, which I thought was super interesting because I saw the movie before I had read that. I thought, Oh, I was not expecting to see this in the book. Cause I thought this was just like a creative choice from Chris Hazy. It was like, you know, I wasn't even sure what he was saying, but I was like, this is an interesting choice. Yeah. What'd you think? I thought it was, I thought it was curious too. Um, I, I finished the book like a couple weeks before I saw the movie. So I totally missed that that thing was real. Mm -hmm. They were just like showing a a fictionalized version of a real thing. Um, So knowing that is, is, is definitely cool. I, um, I thought it was probably like more modern than it would have been at the time, you know, Mm -hmm. cause I guess it's, it's kind of totally reimagined cause, oh no. Oh, baby. Oh, no. Because Scorsese comes out and talks and reads Molly's obituary Mm -hmm. and puts emphasis on the fact that the reign of terror was never mentioned in it. Yeah. And that feels like a thing that's more of, like, important today than it would have been whenever it happened. But for me, I watched it and I thought, okay, here's an example of history being told by somebody else. Yeah. And it's just, it's like a, a warped version of events being told by the victors it's like you know entirely white cast of of players of know. you know jack white jack white oh yeah Tom white that's right know. white savior a lot of white white knight <laughs> i wonder if that's on purpose that's maybe maybe he just likes musicians yeah, so he, Sergio yeah. simpson and uh, yeah. uh jason isbell um yeah I, I think i just i more so read it as like here's here's a start of the history being like co-opted by mm. others and told by others and possibly worked by others yeah um and that's just like how it is. It's also a bit meta, isn't it? Because essentially, right? Essentially, Scorsese is doing the same thing that those people did. Yeah. Right. Like he's tell he's retelling the story, just in a different way than these radio people did. So in a sense, maybe he is just hanging a lantern on the fact that like I'm doing this too, and there's probably going to be stuff I got wrong. Mm. But maybe it's a m- more genuine version of a thing. Yeah. Or it's at least to his mind yeah wants to be more genuine yeah i wonder if it also talks it like makes a comment on the importance of like retelling stories like to tell them over and over and over again so we never forget them. yeah because obviously you know this happened this you know there were reports in newspapers about it and they told it in this radio hour but still 
hundred years later, like almost nobody knows about it. Yeah. Um, until now he has to retell it. But I wanted to ask you about Scorsese coming out at the very end of the movie. And I can't remember exactly what he says. I think he's talking, he talks about Molly. He reads her obituary. That's right. That's right. Yeah. What'd you think of that? Um, and that's where he mentions that there's no reign of terror mentioned in it. Mm-hmm. I think it's, um, people have read a, read it read into it that it's him sort of coming to grips with the end of his like creative life interesting he's you know getting up there and um yeah how old is he i think he's probably in his 80s look it up here early 80s because taxi driver was like 76 that was like 50 years ago now he's 80 yeah 42 um he also is in all of his movies in a way one way or another is he he does the sort of like cameo in I think most, if not all of his well, like name, name another movies. Name one. Taxi driver. He's the one of the first taxi drivers. Is he? Okay. That De Niro picks up. Um he's in uh I just I recently watched Mean Streets. He's in Mean Streets. He's in a he's like a kind of a goon guy that's around for a murder. I didn't know this. Yeah. He's not in any of his contemporary ones, I feel like. He's not in he maybe. Wall Street. Or, or, or it's like, his voice or something. Maybe. Oh, maybe. Um, but I know he does embed himself in certain places. That's cool. That's like a... So Little Quentin Easter Tarantino egg. stole that from him. Is that what happened? Everyone steals everything from Marty. That's true. That's fair. Marty's the, the alpha and the omega. Yeah. It's funny how he's... This has sort of become... Everybody's calling him the greatest living director, right? This is... I mean, it's... It's funny that it's now becoming that this is like his persona now. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of always been that, right? For the past at least 10, 15 years, right? Ever since like, we've been conscious of movies, probably. Yeah, yeah, he's always been at least 1A, 1B, whatever. Yeah. But it's funny that it, maybe because it's like towards the end of his reign that yeah. like people are sort of give you more appreciation for what he's done. You just, they say you got to give uh, people their flowers when they're alive. Killers of the Flower Moon. Nobody gave me flowers. Yeah, but you're not the greatest living director. Well, maybe if you were. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm Things would be different. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. And then, awesome. So those are all the differences. Is, is there anything else you wanted to mention before we keep moving? Do we we think this episode will be longer than the movie? We are currently at one hour and forty five minutes on my tracker here, so, so we could nice. we'd have, yeah. <laughs> have to be here for I don't have two another, hours. But. Yeah, I don't have another two hours worth of material. <laughs> Neither do I. Thank God. Um, Eric, was the adaptation successful? Um, I th- I think yes, but it is very concentrated on where it wants to be. You don't get all the stuff you want from the book, as mentioned, mm-hmm. um, but the stuff that you do get, I think, is done very well. Uh, I do miss the FBI stuff because I think that stuff was very interesting, mm-hmm. though I can totally see how that's too much for one thing. I did actually want to mention one more difference now that you mentioned that about the FBI stuff. We don't get a lot of um tom white's backstory mm-hmm. and there's actually this great part of the book where tom white retires from the fbi and becomes a warden mm-hmm. and he actually becomes a warden of bill hale and um i forget the other character's name ramsey's uh where they go to prison yeah and it's a great scene because he welcomes them into the prison that he is overseeing essentially he's a warden of and that would i mean that would just be such a great visual scene like like everything ties up at the end all is well in the world and obviously the story changes for him he gets actually gets abducted uh by bank robbers who um yeah try to escape the prison and he gets shot but he saves these children he's actually kind of 
got this wild story. Yeah. Um, that somebody should d- dive into and adapt maybe one day. But, but yeah, you miss a lot of this, that stuff. You, you can definitely imagine the story, Tom Waits' central story ending with him looking at De Niro in prison. Yeah. We see being like, gotcha, bitch. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that'd be a great, that's a great scene. Yeah. Um, not for this story, but maybe for another one. Um, and did we like the movie? I, definitely yeah yeah i was a fan of this didn't have i didn't pee so i stayed there oh did you in the my first seat movie. for three hours and 24 minutes plus previews good for you you got a strong bladder yeah no, i was practicing too i was practicing pra- <laughs> um during oppenheimer i did not make it which is what yes, it is yeah that's, that's what it is that was another that was actually shorter than this one so. i know i think there's i don't know if it's exactly true but i think this is one of the longest movies that has been released in like ever? modern times really not ever but like of of late yeah i'm trying to think of or another at least like one. a maybe like a, a a wide release yeah and not just like an out what's that house. what's that uh belgian movie i forget what's called that the, one that was like the number one movie yeah jean dealman like did that get a theatrical run i don't know probably not i mean that movie is from the 70s 60s 70s who directed um drive my car uh hamaguchi right oh yeah yeah he's got another movie that's like four and a half hours on movie or on one of these streaming Jeez. services newer than drive my car older older okay. yeah um apparently the napoleon cut is like four hours oh really yeah servidly <laughs> oh my god all these old guys are like i don't care yeah i mean now it's just like fuck it. i'm not gonna sit through to watch it but you guys <laughs> you guys do it yeah um cool okay hot takes um i think this was mid scorsese which is still pretty good but yeah. it's, i think it was mid it's not his best work by far. I don't even think it's like I haven't obviously I haven't seen all of his movies, but like from the ones I've seen, which are most of his best, I would not think I would not put that this with up up with that. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even put this as high as Departed. Well the Departed is the best, obviously. <laughs> well, obviously. <laughs> That's a very important movie for us. <laughs> That's true. I feel like Departed is not like Goodfellas, it's not Raging Bull, it's not Taxi Driver. Yeah. It's like maybe the it's second a step below. tier. Yeah. It's a it's vibey. It's, it's what it's my favorite Scorsese. Yeah. Um but I would not put that with that with this. I would not put this with that, excuse me. Yeah. It 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 goes for like very big it goes very big. It tries to do a lot of things. Yeah. It tries to be like a very important movie. Obviously it's it's sort of like America. Yeah. You know, look what you've done. Yeah. Look what you've done. And there are great moments in it. Yeah. I don't want to demean the movie like it's bad because it is very good. Um, but it doesn't have the same feeling or, and there are moments in it that don't, aren't exactly explained. Like we were talking off camera, obviously yesterday about this scene where the guy gets stabbed. Yeah. Totally like random scene in the movie, not really alluded to or explained or who this person is or what their connection is with anything. He had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> like what are we doing everyone knows you go what's your hot take uh i was gonna say i saw your hot take and i said this is mid leo i think this is not leo's <laughs> best work i think this this is a hot take because i disagree with that i think i especially of the three him de niro and lily gladstone he is in third place really i think de niro i've said before is throwing like 104 yeah he's like araldus chapman he hits guys in the leg in the World Series. They get a bruise. He spanks Leo in the butt. He gets a bruise. I think there's a lot of Arado's <laughs> Chapman going on there. And then I think Lily Gladstone was amazing. Yeah, she was pretty good. And I, part of it is like having never seen somebody before. 
mm, probably helps. like the ingenue part of it was like oh my god yeah who's like person? a rock star yeah. yeah um and then leo i just I, I don't know it was a lot of it was just like kind of like leo karaoke to me i, I, really? I was watching it i felt like i was trying to explain with like the oh, all right i don't know just some of the way he spoke <laughs> yeah yeah i was like it threw you off yeah i was like i've seen this before yeah yeah gotcha i just have seen him do the that before yeah um i am i would be interested to see him play somebody in the current day i know he just made don't look up where he's kind of a weirdo yeah. but everything else he does is period yeah like can we can you come join us in the, oh, real in, world? the in the modern times yeah what's going on here? yeah i'm trying to think i mean departed yeah, but that was oh eight. Blood Diamond. That's earlier than that. That's like oh six. What? It was like fifteen years ago. <laughs> yeah, but it was at the moment. It was of. I'm saying the come moment. back, come back, <laughs> come back to the present. Yeah, don't look up. Obviously, I disagree. Mine, I thought but... that, I thought he was awesome. They were all amazing. They were all really good. Who was who was your favorite like non top three? Was it the the guy with the face? Uh, was not Brendan Fraser. I'll tell you that. <laughs> You didn't like him screaming? What about... <laughs> uh, what's his name? Uh, Cleese? John Cleese? No, uh, John Lithgow. Oh, yeah. John yeah. Lithgow. What am I saying? Um, <laughs> I, think th- I think the Moonshiner guy with the face. I he liked was him a screaming. lot. Yeah. The- Brendan Fraser was screaming. I forgot. That was very jarring when he first comes on screen. Because I remembered he was in yeah. this movie. And it was like, oh, the whale. He's going to win Best Actor. And yeah. the next thing he's doing, he's in the Scorsese yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. He's in it for like five minutes. Yeah. And his first line of talk is just screaming. I can't remember what he said. It's so yelling. jarring. Because <laughs> you're like not expecting that at all. It's like, my, that's my client. <laughs> like, what the hell? It was very over the top. Yeah. Um, Who were saying the moonshine guy? Sturgill Simpson? No, no. The the guy with the face. Yeah, he was good. I like that guy. He was pretty good. I'd yeah. like to hear him tell a story, you know? I think that, guy's, that guy has just like he, pocket full of stories. Yeah. You feel like that guy's got to get a job doing like a similar character he should be in like a rom-com right <laughs> that was not what i was gonna <laughs> say but like golden bachelor <laughs> booker movie <laughs> um could you imagine if he was actually in the bachelor have He's you like you're not aware of like olds, the golden like, bachelor what is that they're they're doing a bachelor season now where everyone is is older <laughs> you're you're joking no <laughs> wait how old i think like 50s 60s Jesus fucking Christ, dude. <laughs> what the fuck are we doing as a society? Uh, thanks for listening to I this episode. I might check that out, actually. The, I might watch that. Um, uh, I wrote... Uh, I see bo- what you book. wrote. I was are you going with book. it? I'll say book. Um, I'll probably say book, too. I think I think that's right. Although it's, it's a toss-up. I mean, yeah. both are very good. The FBI stuff in, is um, like really cool. Yeah, really interesting. So that's kind of a sad miss, but yeah. Um, but I would definitely watch this movie again. I mean, I probably will. Um, when it comes out on Apple TV Plus. Yeah. So, cool. Uh, final thoughts. Um, lots of confusion upon first watch for me. Conflicted feelings. Second watch was better, but didn't I didn't feel whole. I felt closer to whole after but I didn't feel whole. So uh, I still have, that's so sad. I know. So I have you have a, do you have a case of the melancholy? <laughs> <laughs> Give me the drink. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I would like to go to like a shaving parlor. Like De Niro gets <laughs> shaved like that. Yeah. They ha- I think they have them. Yeah. Not like that. They're expensive. Are I, they? I looked into one once and I was like 45. Yeah. That's, 
ridiculous. Like 60 bucks, yeah. Yeah. Maybe if I started like a crime syndicate, I can have yeah. like just bring a guy in to do that. Yeah. It'd be pretty cool. You could you could definitely do that. I already It'd said my final thought, which is Leo needs to play a modern character. I forgot uh, I wrote that here too. <laughs> Been talking for so long. I don't know Before what's Before he begins what it's like to be alive to that's, that's a good quote. I like that. Yeah. I liked that pool hall. That was a really cool pool hall. That they're the yep. like um home bases. It it's where he gets shaved and where everyone also like drinks and plays pool. Yeah. Um You don't like period pieces? I like I like period pieces. I would just want Leo to play a modern character again. Maybe he can't because he's like not attracted to modern women that are <laughs> under <laughs> of his age, yeah, that are over twenty six. <laughs> so that's tough. But he can he can believably be like, well, I'm a, I'm in nineteen twenty. Trying to see what I'm, sure I'm trying to see what he's got coming up. Um, he doesn't really work that much. Yeah, he he's very selective with his work. Yeah, yeah. he's got really good. He's taste. got seven upcoming projects. Well, I mean that's Roosevelt period piece yeah the devil in the white city oh that's a tv that's show. period piece the wager period piece captain planet oh he's a producer producer jim jones producer producer yeah so, so oh yeah he's a producer on roosevelt too he's not even acting anymore he's done is this his last movie that'd be good that'd be he's done crazy <laughs> um cool anything else before we round it out no thank you i got nothing <laughs> I left it all on the field. Check it. <laughs> Check out our most recent episode uh, on Foe, which came out a couple weeks ago. And keep an eye out for our next episode. Eric, do you want to tell the people? We are finally going to do poor things because it's finally coming out. Yeah. Hopefully, we're, unless they move it again, which I don't think they will. But No. We, we were going to do it in September, and now we're going to do it in November. Yeah. And keep an eye out for an announcement on what's coming out after poor things. I think we have a couple in the bag, but we haven't solidified. So keep an eye out. Yeah. September, uh, full corn moon. Don't forget, and then November is uh, beaver moon. So yeah, set your set your reminders. People. Set your clock <laughs> to beaver time. Shout out <laughs> to all the beavers out there. They're just beaving, beaving it up. Um, and that's it. We're done for tonight. I think it is a full moon, like either today or tomorrow. So that'll be a hunter's moon for everyone listening. So we've we're about to hit the two two hour mark. Would you like to keep going? No, I would not. <laughs> would you like to end it now? Okay. I think Spotify will penalize us for having an episode that long. <laughs> That'd be too good. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.